0: Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's Gaming Group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Matty is leaving his Monopoly money. This is round six, turn two, and I am joined for the first time ever by the philosophical gamer Dimitri Portnoy. Welcome, Dimitri.
1: Yeah, good morning, Tom, and good morning, everyone. This is the leap episode. This is we the... are recording this on 29th of February. Oh, you know what I
0: didn't even realize that. How about yeah. that? Once every four years, we'll have a leap episode if we make it four years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this round, you mean we personally or this show. Uh,
0: I, I, well, you know, with, with uh, the coronavirus and all sorts of things happening, you never, ever know. We are going to talk this round about changes, changes. Dimitri, what do we have on top? Because, as we know, Dimitri is beholden to no
1: theme. We're going to be talking about games this entertainment the qualities that games share with movies and circuses and how those have changed and how i have had to change as a gamer to enjoy them and recognize those qualities you use the word of the theme twice in that description that's amazing uh yes but i'm always on theme tom (laughs) (laughs) very well
0: then let's get right to it let's talk about what happened at this week's game night we are actually recording before Friday game night. But to make up for that, we did have some game nights that went on this past weekend. On Saturday, I got a bunch of people together, and we played a lot of new people. And so we introduced them to Wavelength. Fantastic success. Mm -hmm. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. It was one of those games where it just ended up being really, really close. It's a
1: terrific game. It is. I really love it. And (laughs) uh, uh, it sometimes surprises. Oh,
0: very much so. I think it's probably got one of the greatest surprise factors of anything because of the way we're required to uh, psychoanalyze a person.
1: Yes. Uh, who, who do you aim towards? Do you aim towards the person making the guess or do you aim aim towards the person who's uh, actually creating the situation?
0: Yeah, because there's always, there's always both factors, right? It's like the person... Is looking at the dial and they're trying to come up with a clue for the people that are guessing. So they're aiming at the guessers to some degree. But then the guessers with very limited information, they have to be trying to get into the brain of the person who was thinking about it in the first place. Which came- I
1: learned what you think about George H.W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and actually, my suspicions were confirmed.
0: Yes, yes. When you are, if you ever play uh, Wavelength with Dimitri, just remember on any political question, that needle better be on the opposite ends, one end or the other. There is nothing in the middle. Uh, We then played Santiago. With them, I decided, you know, what... Were the five, Canal game. Yes, indeed. There were five of us. And I said, what is a game that has a really low rules overhead, but gives them, you know, a, a little a little foot in the deep end? And Santiago is perfect for that. It's super quick to explain, super easy to understand. And yet the emergent gameplay that comes from, from playing it is really, really deep. And they loved it.
1: Probably the first bidding game that I really enjoyed.
0: Um, I, I think modern art right wouldn't you say well
1: but um, it's a different kind of taking turns
0: sure yeah that's absolutely true yeah 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 on Sunday I was not able to attend but you played Oceans and Masters of the Renaissance tell us
1: I really liked Both those games. Uh, Masters of the Renaissance is a very different game from Lorenzo. It has some of the same themes uh, and a few of the same mechanisms, Uh, but it really is more like a splendor uh, game, but with some interesting twists and much more meaningful choices. Uh, Basically, uh, the twists are that you get resources and spend resources in novel ways that I haven't seen in other games. Can you give
0: me one novel way so I understand what we're talking Uh, about?
1: Sure. Uh, There's a Hungry Hungry Hippo situation where you are rolling uh, balls of uh, different color, uh, and you either get a row or a column. Uh, and whether you can actually have space to put those resources in depends. Uh, th- that creates opportunities for other people to advance on the faith track.
0: You know Hungry Hungry Hippos is Jesse's favorite game. That's amazing. He's going to love this.
1: I am a Hungry Hungry Hippo. So <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. And and I like toy-like contraptions. I, I like the gears of uh, Tzolkin, for example. Uh, I like the building blocks of Teotihuacan. Sure. Uh, and this is a novel... Contraption, but it actually makes sense uh, as a mechanism for a game.
0: Good. And what about the other one?
1: Oceans is very interesting. Uh, It's uh, a bit like Wingspan. Uh, We are evolving fish. It has a surprising, it's surprisingly competitive Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very interactive. There's uh, a geographical layout component uh, that comes into play without my really expecting it or preparing for it, uh, the rules are very intuitive. Uh, there's a deck of uh, cards that uh, are repeated. Yep. Uh, eleven unique cards that are repeated many times, and there's another advanced deck cards, uh, a deck of cards that are completely unique. Interesting. Um. So there's a lot of breadth, uh, and depth in the game. Uh, a lot of interactivity. Uh, and interestingly enough, um, the game comes in several modes um, and there are rules that you can use to edit the card deck to make it less cutthroat or more cutthroat.
0: Interesting. What would you say the weight of the game is on, on in general?
1: Depends on who you're playing it with. Uh, it could be a 2.5 uh, mm-hmm. if you're playing it with people who are not Paying so much attention to you and enjoying their own fish colonies and their own colors.
0: So light-medium is sure. the starting point?
1: Uh, or it could be up to the high threes if you're playing it with people who are really on the ball and huh. really want to challenge you and to attack you. And, and, and that's a, I like that. I, I like having a game with a dial. It's like playing ping-pong. You know, you can be casual and relaxed <laughs> and, and just volley the ball back and forth, or you can be slamming things and, and really want to win, depending on the mode, depending on how you want to play with uh, your buddy.
0: And, and then on Tuesday, we had our usual game night and we played Heaven and Ale with the expansion that was brought to us by Friend of the Pod. Ben Mandelker, who may become more than a friend of the pod very, very soon. There's a little hint there, and then a also a friend with benefits. <laughs> and then the other table, we played Glenmore too. I am. We are going through the chronicles. There are about eight chronicles that I have uh, for that game. And we, is it
1: a Legacy game or just different different no, just, scenarios?
0: Yeah, just different flavors. Just different flavors of uh, scotch. Well, uh, we played the Scotch one this time. We did We did one the first time, two the second time. Now we've done three. What do you say, Dimitri? Should we get to the news? Sure. Good evening, Mr. Mister Novel, of South American. All the and See, Let's go to press. news. First up in game news, we have information about Tim Fowler's next game is going to be a sequel. Bruegel Brothers 2, the Casino Capers, is coming out, which he co-designed uh, with Jeff Krause. It is a cooperative game where we are all robbers on a team. In Burgle Brothers 2, we're going to be taking down a string of casinos during the day, uh, which is, uh, I I would love to see, the old one was a kind of an office building, like a high-tech office building with, with valuable stuff.
1: Is it the 60s casino?
0: They have motion detectors and things like that, so I guess it's probably not the 60s. I guess it's modern day, but... Each character has their own special ability. You can get equipment that increases the things that you can do. There, there is wonderful things like there, like you can get into an air vent in one room and it'll come out where the air vent is on a whole other floor and and gives you just a, a quick access. Very fun game. I played it with my kids a lot. I don't think it's just for kids though. I think uh, people that are more on the casual side of gameplay. I think it's probably one of the more fun cooperative games I have ever played. Moving on, let's talk about Fallout Shelter. is a board game from Andrew Fisher and Fantasy Flight. Fallout Shelter was a pretty famous mobile game. Tom,
1: I still remember the larp you did for Maddie's uh, bachelor party. Uh, that had a similar theme. It was sim- really terrific.
0: The bunker, yes, the bunker was great. This one, however, is is sort of adjunct to Fallout, the video game. Mm. Right, there are four editions, hugely popular. It's one of my favorite uh, video games. Uh, Fallout Shelter was sort of just a small little. You're in a you're in a bunker. Bad things are coming in at you, and it's sort of sort of a defense game where you're trying to protect bunker from all the hazards that would come in
1: uh, what's interesting is that uh, this game is not the only radiation themed game in the news this week
0: <laughs> what's the other radiation themed game in the news isn't there trained?
1: a zona game uh, about chernobyl or what am i imagining no there is
0: there absolutely is let's uh, let's talk about that in a second um, patchwork has an americana edition coming out i will tell you the americana edition has nothing new to it except the artwork it is just using an American style shaker? art shaker of quilting. I think I? I think it's uh, looking. There's not a lot of art for it, but when I look at it, I do think it looks more more shaker. I don't. I don't. What about you, Dimitri?
1: I I want to. I want to learn because uh, you, you know uh, patches are interesting to me, and uh, collecting fabric is and and putting it into a pleasing pattern seems nice and relaxing and creative.
0: Let us talk about. Lately, there have been these games that have been coming out that have just amused me. The very concept of doing this game Betrayal House on the Hill was a famous, you know, one of those very first games in which you are telling us you're playing a role playing game as a board game. Well, guess what? Scooby Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion is a Betrayal at Mystery Mansion uh, game. Basically, it's Betrayal on the Hill set in the scooby-doo universe But and- uh, tom
1: how, how can you make a game when you know the groundskeeper did it <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean what, i mean that's just you win the ground it's the groundskeeper i mean i'm guessing
0: that you're gonna have a, a number of adults that it could be right is it is it the groundskeeper is it the the, the guy who hired you to go and clear out the ghosts is it the sheriff is it the, right? There the, there should be a bunch of, of characters that it could be. Jinkies, I'm excited about this game. <laughs> uh, it is going to be from Avalon Hill, Rob Davio, Banana Chan, Noah Cohen, and Brian Neff are the creators of this game. Banana Chan. I got to know more about this person. We'll look it up sometime. Uh, this game is supposed to come out in May 15th, 2020. So coming right up the same day, Warner Brothers movie called Scoob comes yes, out with, yes. an ex- with an exclamation point, comes out onto the big screen.
1: I've seen the trailer so many times already.
0: I mean, I do think it's really interesting that Jaws, Top Gun, Scooby-Doo, it used to be that branded content in games generally was a bad sign. With a few notable exceptions, Battlestar Galactica being one of the Dune. seminal games of all time, Dune. Yes. But most of played
1: the- Battlestar we wore it out basically tons tons, a- of and now it's out of print and you can't get it and-
0: exactly but most games i mean the, the the majority of games that had branded theming we never played because we knew before we even got to them you know the reviews were in and they were just no this is just a cash grab i love that these older licenses are being picked up and are being turned into kitschy fun interesting games prospero hall is making a living out of doing this. And now to see that Avalon Hill is is getting on the bandwagon and doing that, I just think it's fun. I, I, I love that they're taking what used to be a very cynical play and they're turning it into something fun. Well, you talked about Zona, Secret of Chernobyl. Why don't we talk about it? It was a 2019 release, but it is now widely available. It's a, an adventure board game for one to four players, and we are trying to reach the sarcophagus uh, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Dimitri, have you seen other than the, the, the television show Chernobyl, have you seen any of the videos of people or the shows where you people go into the exclusion zone?
1: Well, you, you know, I lived uh, sixty kilometers from Chernobyl. So It explains a lot uh, it, it- uh, we left. how
0: many years after the disaster did you leave? I, th- I think it was like uh, seven, I, eight it, years after. I, I
1: still think I'm still there, and all of this is my uh, hallucination uh, that, that's been radiation induced. Um, I, I've seen a lot of photographs. Uh, everything to me looks like the um, Tarkovsky movie Stalker, uh, and also like yeah. my childhood. So I find uh, those videos uh, and photographs strangely comforting and, and kind of soothing, like well, these are the playgrounds of my youth
0: if you like questing games where you're where you're racing against other people to get to a goal and there are hazards in your way this is a really interesting take on that right it's not a fantasy realm it's a, we're using something uh, you know something real it,
1: it, it's also deeply offensive uh, that, to, to my that's Ukrainian, kind of what I wanted to... Ukrainian brethren and sister
0: that's exactly what i wanted to ask you about i mean it's it's a very unique idea but is it trafficking in tragedy is it is it making fun of something we shouldn't make fun of I mean, we've had conversations about secret hitler we've had conversations about other games of that of that kind where do you are you, you are the closest to this of anybody you were 60 miles away from there where you where you 60 spent? kilometers Tom. oh i beg your pardon that's that's 40 something miles
1: yeah I don't know. the The answer is I don't know. Uh, the Ukrainians are white. Uh, they're the Scythians, of course. Uh, the Greeks knew of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as white people, they're fair game. Uh, but but they suffer. Do, do they not uh, bleed when we prick them? <laughs>
0: I, I think it's I think it's dicey. I think it's a a, a dicey topic to Don't make. Don't say a, that around the tray. game about. The only thing I would say is is that it's not about the tragedy itself. It's about going into the exclusion zone after the the tragedy. So it's not really trafficking in human misery per yeah, se. Yeah, but
1: it's also whitewashing it away, ignoring the misery. Uh, it, it's using uh, an event of great misery. For fun, watch Tarkovsky's Stalker. It was made seven years before Chernobyl. It is about Chernobyl. It's about an exclusion zone. it looks. Zone, like it looks yes. It's called yeah. It, it's about an area called Zona, uh, and it kind of forecast Chernobyl. In fact, Chernobyl was a remake of Tarkovsky's Stalker oh, in real life. Okay, now you've by gone too Soviet far. The Soviet government.
0: Now you've gone
1: too far. Yes. So, but <laughs> ultimately, I don't know. <laughs> Je ne Dimitri, did you hear that? I'm hearing that. What that's, is that? that? That's the sound of Maddie giggling like a little schoolgirl. Because I admit to not knowing something?
0: No, because on Kickstarter this week, do you want to know how many games have a solo mode? The Ming Voyages, Endogenesis, Heroes of Tenfear, Tumbletown, Town, Night Lancer, Storms Under, Heirs of, Heirs of Ruin arc awakening ruins death binder by the way almost all of these have a, a colon in them by death and Sea, night tales Astroforce, the dice game all of these are currently on kickstarter every single one of them has a solo mode
1: we will never see matt come back will we
0: matt has matt has one he has one life he is one we have lost he, the his trend his favorite trend which is the proliferation of solo modes to expand the play of games has completely taken hold and is just rampaging through tom, the tom
1: can anybody write a solo mode for a game and market it even if they're not connected to that game or do you have to have uh, the intellectual rights
0: um, the etiquette of it is that what you could do is you could post a variant on board game geek, but the real etiquette is contact the publisher, contact the, uh, the designer and say, Hey, I made this little solo mode or this little thing. I I was going to put up the variant, uh, you know, on your on your game and I was also going to put up the files for it so you could print out whatever things you need to print out for it. I wanted to ask you if you're okay with that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ruffle any any feathers. The manifold, there is a new media outlet that is going to be about tabletop games. It is the brainchild of David Somerville. David Somerville created Vast, the Crystal Caverns. And I didn't know this, but the creator of Vast, the Crystal Caverns was the former creative director at The Atlantic.
1: Oh, that's a, ma- a magazine. That is a magazine. And Manifold is a magazine, right? And, and Manifold, and well, it is a, yeah, it's... Multimedia platform like The Atlantic. Exactly,
0: exactly. So really looking forward to this. It's, it's great to have a slightly larger vision for what games media can be. I think I think it's about time. I think the media has, I think our hobby has grown to the point where this could be a very, very successful venture.
1: When we're out of ideas for the podcast, we can just read it on the air.
0: We just, just repost things that they say.
1: Uh, or just read them aloud.
0: <laughs> Tom
1: Donnelly reads the latest Manifold issue. Uh, I, I would actually love to hear you read a lot of things. <laughs>
0: you're too sweet your baritone is, you're too is unequaled sweet. thank you Dimitri Chronicles of crime we reviewed it last year Jesse did yes Jesse and you did. I believe Jesse loves it it was Jesse Matt. and Matt it was Jesse and Matt um me personally I thought that it had a lot of potential I thought that the uh, AR aspect of the game was brilliant and I thought that it was just Not quite as good as Detective and some of the others uh, that were coming out of the same ilk. They are doing something pretty crazy. They are putting out not one, not two, but three expansions slash new versions of Chronicles of Crime.
1: That's what it's there for, right?
0: It is, but check this out. They're doing Chronicles of Crime, 1400. Maybe it's uh, Mysteries of the Abbey. Maybe it's a little name of the rose.
1: And you also get visions from God about who the murderer is, in addition to uh, interviewing
0: people. Mm -hmm. Chronicles of Crime, 1900. So Sherlock Holmes era.
1: Edwardian. Gas
0: gas lamp. And Chronicles of Crime, 2400. (laughs) Pre-crime.
1: Oh, Caves of Steel, the Robert Asimov uh robot detective novels
0: i don't actually think it's it's pre-crime i i I do think it is you have a pet that's called cyber raven that can analyze evidence for you and stuff
1: nevermore will you solve this
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is a edgar Allan poe pun from our dimitri Portnoy. thank you so much
1: I wouldn't really call it a pun.
0: Uh, I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't call it anything. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to see if we can edit that out. Uh, oh, please, Tom, don't. No, of course <laughs> If you I edit wouldn't.
1: out all the stupid things I say, we're not going to have a podcast at all.
0: They're not stupid things. They're just painful. They're just painful sometimes. Tang Garden, we'll just talk about really briefly. Tang Garden, if you liked Carcassonne and wanted to have it in a different setting, that's pretty much what Tang Garden is. It is a pretty tiling game with a multitude of ways to score points. It's by Francesca Testini and Pierluca Zizi. I hope I said that right. It is out now. Take a look at it. Interesting story in the news. Have you heard the game Dogs and Pigs, Dimitri? No. Well, it just so happens that Dogs and Pigs, but well, that's what the archaeologists are calling it. It was an ancestor of chess, and it is the oldest game ever discovered it was found in 2012 i should say all we found are the pieces from it but the they minis they found they in 2012 they found some pieces exactly and now they have uncovered, a complete set uncovered a complete what they believe to be complete set now they don't have the board because whoever, it deteriorated whoever it this guy away. Whoever it was, this guy was he he didn't he didn't laminate you should always laminate If you have.
1: Especially if you take it to the grave with you, which is what happened in this case.
0: Exactly. This game dates between basically 3000 BC, is when this game came out. It is crazy. And they have now found all of the pieces to it. Do you know how many games I still haven't found all the pieces for?
1: (laughs) Oh, I I have a way to market this game. How do you do it? Uh, The game that Jesus played. (laughs)
0: bonfire bonfire is a game that if you look it up on bgg you will not find it yet but we have received word that Steffenfeld's next game is going to be called bonfire looking at what little information we can have about the game when it was in development it was a south american theme and now it is a fantasy theme it is gnomes on a planet where the life-sustaining bonfire has gone out and they're trying to petition the gods to bring it back it is it has a very interesting polyomino effect in which you are taking polyominoes adding them to a board and each polyomino appears to have about 3 different segments to it and i believe as you add it you're going to be able to activate those segments maybe all the segments in a row or in a column or something along it those lines it
1: looks absolutely beautiful
0: it's it looks gorgeous and looks complicated don't know what it is yet but I'm dying to check it out. It looks really, really cool. Let's talk about our games on the brain. Games, games of the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on
1: our brains. Oh, baby. What's on your brain, Dimitri? Heaven and Ale, a, a game that uh, I played on Tuesday with Ben Mandelkirk. Ben brought the game. Uh, I actually didn't remember this, but I played it maybe briefly uh, a, a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd forgotten all about it. Uh, and when he brought out the game, he introduced it as a game with very simple, intuitive rules, mm-hmm. but a very broad, rich, painfully de- painful decision game space. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. Never once did we have to consult a rule book. Uh, Everything was very intuitive, um, and at the same time, every decision was fraught. (laughs) with consequences. I played the original. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, What does the
0: expansion add?
1: The expansion adds uh, a travel component uh, like you find in uh, Village, like you find in Coimbra, uh, where it's another alternative way to score points. Uh, Trey used it wonderfully. Trey actually won the game. Uh, And uh, it's a little bit of a pressure release valve. Um, it, It gives you a different way to score off of things that you are going to have in the game anyway that you might not be able to gather points off of otherwise.
0: So do you feel it makes the game less tight, less tense?
1: No, I I, I don't think it's a very tense and tight game. It's a very interwoven, complicated game. Uh, There's very little that people can do to interfere with you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you develop your own uh, space, you develop your own farm, uh, and you put the way that you develop it uh, makes all the difference uh, mm-hmm. and there's no ideal way to do it, there are always trade-offs Yeah. Uh, so having a release valve um, maybe makes you punish yourself less, but for it to work you have to make another trade-off Mm. you have to make another difficult decision that may cost you in other places. But the reason it's been on my brain is um, it's not, the rules are not difficult, Mm -hmm. but the game is difficult. I love that. And, and, And so I was thinking that difficulty and I made a little equation for myself that uh, Ben talking about the game and the game itself helped me realize that for me, difficulty is complexity divided by clarity. Difficulty is complexity
0: divided divided, by clarity. Yes.
1: The more clear the rules are, and this is a game, Heaven and Ale, is a game with very clear rules the less difficult it'll seem, even though it might be very complex. Gotcha. But, so what
0: you're saying is that a game's complexity is how, how ornate and, and complex it is, but the actual difficulty level is mitigated by how clear the rule set is. That's
1: right. Uh, and uh, Ocean, uh, the game we talked about earlier, Um, that we played on Sunday is another example of that. The Mm -hmm. rules of Ocean are very clear, Mm -hmm. but it can get really, really, really complex in its play. Uh, But the difficulty still stays fairly controlled because of how clear the rules are.
0: So you're parsing complexity and difficulty. That's right. And attempting to, because attempting to separate those into two separate categories. I
1: love very complex games with very clear rules. Mm-hmm. This is my sweet spot. Um, huh. And to, I, I think that a lot of the time there are discussions or even um, debates or conflicts about what makes a game difficult. is because people don't consider complexity and clarity to be independent variables. So a lot of Pax games uh l- l- like uh uh the um uh, like Oath mm-hmm. for example ha- has um uh rules that are not very clear. Mm. Now that's a feature not a bug of that game, I feel. It- it's a reflection of um the kind of interpretive difficulty that uh, I think that game designer feels is going to be built into an historical, complicated, socially, complicated, economically situation.
0: Well, uh, I don't think it's quite fair to talk about Oath that way because we're talking about a prototype that is more than a year out. So, okay. So you, you, I feel you know what same I'm saying, way, though. Yeah,
1: I feel the same way about Pax Pamir. Okay. Uh, a lot of Pax Pamir is occluded, Uh, is nebulous. It's not clear when you get a card Mm -hmm. how you play it, what it will do for you, what's the best time to play it, right? Got it. Uh, And that's a term of clarity that can be enjoyable. But complexity divided by clarity is difficulty. Uh, And and both complexity and clarity in my brain, the way I'm thinking about it now, have to be considered.
0: Interesting, because the weight metric on bgg is literally a complexity rating uh, a rating of how difficult the game is to understand so they are conflating the two
1: and i you're, think they are yes. and you're
0: trying to separate the two which is interesting as to games on my brain i am thinking about our weight loss bet it is very very interesting we have people that are saying that i'm sure i'm gonna get there and then uh no i'm not so sure there are other people that said i don't think i'm gonna make it and now maybe they're gonna make it it's really going to come down to the wire. And that's always an exciting thing for a uh, for a game, even if it is one that is us trying to get healthier and get better. Um, But the other thing, the thing that's really on my mind is 1862. And in particular, the episode last week, Um, I had a bad episode, there's just no other way around it. Um, First, I told you that Whenever we did a review of something we got a review copy of, then I would let you know, and I forgot to mention that. The 1862 review we did, uh, we got a copy of 1862 from the good people at GMT Games. I should have told you that, so please factor that into uh, uh, your, your calculus. Uh, we try to be uh, completely unbiased, but you may think differently, and if you do, that is totally fine. We understand that completely. But much more than that, I was uh, disorganized, scattered, stressed, and I think it showed in the in the podcast. I interrupted Jennifer so much uh, listening to it is really, really painful. And, uh, and I know that it it hurt her. I've apologized to her. I've, you know, told her that I'm going to make sure that that does not happen in the future. And any of you out there that were were squeamish with uh, with my behavior on the pod and with how uh, just yeah, with with how manic and interrupting and inconsiderate uh, I was and uh, just wasn't my best moment. So I'm telling all of you listeners as well that I'm going to try and do better. And that's about it. Let's move on to our eight by eight challenge. We got nothing to talk about with the eight by eight challenge. <laughs> well, we've been busy playing games. We we
1: are breadth, not depth. We are people. definitely breadth. We depth. we are we we just ooze out all over the place. We have no depth. We are shallow.
0: Let's get to the review. The review is Kalis 1303 You know what? I don't know if we said that at the
1: head. <laughs> I don't know
0: if we mentioned what we'll be reviewing this week.
1: Well, well, people will read that before yes. they listen to the episode. So we don't have to repeat what they already know. Uh,
0: that's hilarious. It is a uh, 19, uh, 2019 release. The designer is William Adia. And Why are
1: we reviewing 2019 games in 2020, Tom? This is already way too old for us to talk about. It's horrible. Well, I think it has to do with a couple things.
0: First of all, a lot of 2019 games get released at Essen, and then they only have a couple of months to get them to the United States, and lots of times they don't even come in until 2020. They're Sorry, only-
1: we waited for the Leap episode to talk about this game, <laughs> everyone
0: listening. Well, I think the other thing is, is, is that with what's going on in China right now, we may have a dearth of games in the later half of this year. We may need to be re- reviewing more 2019 and earlier releases because there might be a somewhat of a lull in the usual game pipeline this year, as we'll see.
1: Or maybe we'll just fly to China to play them at the factory.
0: I will buy you a ticket tomorrow. The designer is William Adia. The artist is Andrew Bosley. The publisher is Space Cowboys. Dimitri, will you tell us what the Kalis 1303 is about? First of all, we should acknowledge that it is a uh, remake, re- remake, essentially, or a variant of one of the most popular Uh, Euro games of all time, a game that is widely considered to be one of the first worker placement games and probably the most influential first worker placement game of those. Uh, It predates
1: Agricola, I think, by three years, Mm -hmm. the original version. Uh, I have a very personal relationship to this game uh, because uh, I had my first table flip when we played (laughs) Kalis. I think you remember it... Well... It's a mean game. It's a mean game. Um, um, someone was very mean to me. Uh, someone reneged uh, on a deal we had made uh, to move the horsey figure. What's the horsey figure called? I uh, forget. It's
0: not a horsey figure in, in that game. You're talking about the provost.
1: The provost. Um, yes. And and, and uh, cost me, and I basically said, I'm not playing this anymore, and I'm leaving. Uh, it, it, I apologize for that uh what 13 years later that wasn't me was it it wasn't you no. we're not gonna say who it was but a, a, a host of this podcast
0: <laughs>
1: not maddie so um uh, i played uh, the old kalis i played the new kalis um i i think as us My feelings aside... Would you just tell us what it's about first?
0: There are some people that have never played either, Kayla, so just just sort of an overview. It
1: is a shopping and spending game. (laughs) And it's a building game. You place your workers. uh, They give you resources for that placement along a bunch of buildings on a road where you can trade resources. Uh, And then you can build some of those buildings or you can build a castle. Yes. Okay, so shopping
0: game might throw people the wrong way. Uh, this is set in 1303. The original one was set in 1289. And we are trying to build a castle in the, Fran- in the French region or the French town of Calais. And as would happen back in those days, in order to build a castle, you kind of have to build a town first. You are bringing in artisans. You're bringing in workers. You're bringing in people that will do all these things. They have to live there, so you're building houses for them. You're building blacksmiths. Well, they
1: can and, also live in the camp.
0: Yes, but not for a blacksmith. You're going to need a smithy. You're going to oh, need sure. these car- are places where they actually like do the yes, job. They exactly. actually
1: manufacture the stuff.
0: So the game of both Kalises, because they're 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 similar, is that you are building this town, and as you're building this town, you're getting the resources necessary to build the castle. 1303. Takes place after a war has happened, and the castle essentially needs to be rebuilt. And that's just the idea of that. But uh, but that's what the game is. The game is putting your guy in various buildings, uh, your people in various buildings, getting the resources from those buildings, and then using those resources to build more buildings,
1: or upgrade, the castle upgrade, upgrade your upgrade buildings, the buildings,
0: or build a castle. Exactly. You
1: also can build monuments. Indeed, you can. Just for a point. Uh, And another thing you can build uh, in addition to buildings that will give you resources are places for your workers to stay, Mm -hmm. to sleep over, so they don't have to return to the camp. And that's a way to supplement your workers because your workers, all the workers go to the camp to sleep over uh, and only a few of them come back. Mm -hmm. uh, And that is part of the economy and managing your workers that I really enjoy, it seems to me, very thematic, and and there's some complex decisions involved. Do I have the actions to do right now, or should I save my workers for the next round, where the, they can be used in a more efficient and interesting way?
0: Yes. In the original Kalos, there was money. And there were your workers. Your workers would go out and occasionally the things that the workers would do would cost you money. And you would have to pay that money. Now it is all just workers. If something costs you, you have to expend one of your workers. So instead of in the original game where you have 3, 4, 5 workers, here you have 8, 10 workers at a given time sometimes. I think you start with six. Sure. Except, except in the five-player game where you start with ten.
1: And there are also variable powers that let you grab more.
0: Exactly right. So they basically turned a two-unit economy into a one-unit economy, which is very interesting. It is a, it is a very uh, clever idea in terms of taking the complexity of the game down without reducing the decision space for that for the most part.
1: Uh, in, in my in my opinion, that was a complete success. Mm-hmm. I don't miss the not having money in the game at all. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's talk about how you play it.
0: Excellent. How do you play it? Well, there will be a start player, a start player uh, of the round. It is going to go in a clockwise fashion, which is different than the original than the original Kalos. And that person is going to take one of their workers and they're going to be able to put it out on one of the buildings on the road. Uh, there are four, I believe, permanent spots on the board now. Before the bridge. Yeah. They're, they're, there is a they're p- already
1: bridge. built. And Correct. They cannot be uh, affected and then after by that, the provost.
0: Exactly. And then after that, there are starting buildings. There are the buildings that will start out the game. There are several of those.
1: Do they change, Tom?
0: Uh, no, they don't change, I don't believe. I think the order in which they in which they are along the road changes.
1: We lay them out.
0: Correct. In which the order in which they are they're laid and the out.
1: order is important for the reason that we'll discuss later.
0: Exactly, and when you place a worker out, you're getting whatever that later on in the in the round you will potentially get what that building produces. So if you go to the farm, you will get a food cube. If you go to a the, turkey leg. Yeah, if you go to the forests, if you go to the forestry or the the, the, the lumber yard or whatever, you're going to get a wood, and so on and so forth. You're going to get one thing for each of those. Some Later of
1: them, on, you can get cloth and gold.
0: Exactly those right. Those
1: are the resources in the game,
0: and you can build buildings. There are spaces you can go. There are some. There are buildings that you can go onto, put your guy onto, and that will allow you when that your turn comes to build a building farther down that road. The road snakes all the way up or down. One game, it expands up, and one game, you expand down. That is how you put out new buildings into the game. Tom, and the new what are the are- two
1: reasons that you might want to build a new building from wood or stone or cloth? What? How do you get points from that when you build a building? Tell
0: me, Dimitri, how do you get points from that?
1: Well, in two ways. First of all, you're contributing new, more efficient ways to get new resources into the game. And also, any time that somebody else places a worker in that building, you get victory points. Cha-ching! And the beauty of those victory points is you cannot spend victory points in this game, and no one can take victory points away from you. So unlike resources that you may lose or convert into something else, a victory point is like a treasury bond.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's banked. It's banked. It is banked points. There is one other place you can put a worker, though, and that is up at the castle. Up at the castle, there are spaces enough for each person to place one worker, and when you place a worker there, what you are doing is is you're saying, I am going to help build this castle, and the way you build a castle is by contributing a packet.
1: Yes, and the packet, first of all, you have food, because Mm -hmm. you do have to feed people who are working on the castle. And then you have to give three resources, or four, I forget.
0: No, it's it, uh, food plus two.
1: Food plus two. Oh, it's even easier. Those can be wood, they can be stone, they can be cloth, they can be gold. Uh, and not and only do you get the pride of building the castle, you get rewarded for that.
0: The only thing is that they have to be different resources. All the resources have to be different. for Unless people.
1: you have a variable power.
0: Which we should get into right now. as Something new in this game as opposed to the original is there are character cards that will be uh, chosen at the beginning of the game in reverse turn order. And then they will be the special powers that you have.
1: Not for the whole game, though. Why not, Dimitri? Because when you go to the castle and you contribute packets, you will get victory points and you will get a choice uh, of getting an additional reward which is variable in the castle, if you contribute the most packets. Uh, And your other choice is to get a variable power, Mm -hmm. one of those assistants, or if you forgo the reward, you can steal one of those variable powers from another player. So there are, I think, eight variable powers in the game, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can collect them. You can collect up to two, three, four variable powers, uh, sometimes by being a bad guy and taking them from me.
0: <laughs> um, when you build buildings, the buildings that you build, I think Dimitri hinted at this, are better than the start buildings. Instead of generating one cube, they'll generate two cubes. Later on, the stone buildings will come out and those generate potentially three cubes or do better and better things.
1: I, I want to point out that the old Kalus had cubes, this new one has interesting carvings turkey legs sure yes for for me that and makes just, a lot of a difference i i, I like to see it, what i have
0: yeah they're, they're still cubes they're just they're just non-square cubes uh <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get too far away. Um, you were talking about the rewards, which are favors. Uh, how does favors work in this game? We understand that you can not take a favor in order to grab one of the special character powers, including grabbing it away from a c- competitor. But what are the? how does the favors work in this game?
1: There are nine favors. I, I think they're randomly distributed on cards. Uh, and you get a choice of first three favors in the first three rounds uh the first six favors in the second three rounds and the first nine favors in the last three rounds uh and there are nine rounds to the game so you know when it's over
0: yes indeed the game is a fixed length which is different than the original game it is only nine rounds long I think that gives people a pretty good idea of the way the game plays.
1: Let's talk about the provost, though. That's an important part. Of course. And, how do we not uh, talk about the
0: provost yet? So here's the thing. Here's where the game gets doubly mean. We already talked about one take that mechanism, which is... If taking you get the f-
1: variable powers away from a player.
0: Precisely right. But you can, also, you can also be really mean. There is a provost character. The provost character camps out at the farthest space on the road behind
1: the last constructed building
0: exactly he sits there and his job is to make sure that people aren't building too much stuff that they're focused on building that castle that's the idea that they're not building too much of the town and that they're focused on building that castle so wherever the provost ends at the end of the round any buildings that are constructed past the provost on the road... Are not
1: licensed, can't open for business. And guess who gets to move the provost?
0: Everybody. Everybody
1: can move the provost by spending their workers. Uh, and by the way, remember that the new buildings that are built past the provost are Better and more efficient, and have much more interesting resources and more interesting ways to spend the resources, and also more interesting ways for you to, who built the building, to get victory points for somebody else to use it. So, there are people who want to move the provost as far down the road as possible so they can get those resources people who are trying to catch up or people who just built interesting buildings or people who want those resources and other people the evil people uh want to hold the provost back and maybe even move the provost behind where they started out so others won't get those resources and they'll hold on to their lead
0: Exactly right. Essentially, it is a situation in which the best buildings are those at the far end of the buildings, right? Because those are the ones that are bigger and better and give you more resources. But those are also the ones that are at great risk for the provost ruining your day and causing you to spend a guy that is, uh, that is ill-advised, let's say that. In practice, what ends up happening is... I get the sense that Dimitri is winning the game. So I talk to all of my other guys and I say, hey, how about we all pitch in You know, pitch in a, a person or two in order to move the provost the other way? Because each person can move the provost up to three spaces. And we realize that, well, Dimitri is winning the game and he's got two guys on very important buildings down there at the end. But if Dimitri's smart... He won't put two guys down there. He'll put one guy down there, and he'll make sure that some other player has a guy right next to that guy so that uh, maybe you both have an interest in saving your skins and making sure that nobody gets uh, messed up too much.
1: Uh, I want to mention a couple of other sources of pressure in the game. The earlier buildings that are put out at the beginning of the game— ultimately get converted away from their original use to houses for the workers or to monuments by the players. So as the provost limits the game on the far side of the road, on the near side of the road, buildings are ta- being taken away. Exactly. So the buildings that are built later gain an importance because after a while they're the only buildings that you can go to. Yes,
0: we're being pushed forward Uh, essentially by the mechanisms of the game.
1: And the other source of pressure is uh, actually turn order. Uh, Once somebody says, I'm done placing my workers, Mm -hmm. everybody else, unless you have a variable power, now has to place two workers in every building rather than one. Because basically once... To sacrifice
0: a worker in order to place a worker. Yes. Uh,
1: yes. Once um, somebody quits and says, I'm done for the night... Everybody else pretty much works at fifty percent effort. Um, that 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 may that makes thematic sense.
0: I just want to be one uh, clear about one thing about uh, the royal favors. There are only three royal favors in any game that you can take. In the first three rounds, you can only take the first royal favor. Oh, which is a building. Sorry tile. Sorry about that. It's yes. okay, no problem. Which is a building tile that has that was not placed out in the game. Rounds four, five, and six, there will be a second, uh, a second benefit. And rounds seven through nine, there'll be a third benefit. So throughout the game, you're going to have at first only one choice for oil favor, then two choices, then three choices. But that's the extent of it. That's the extent of the choices for oil favors. Dimitri, let's get into it. What do you think? Where, uh, first of all, what do you think about the game just as it stands? Imagine that you have never played original Kalos, and then we'll talk about the comparison.
1: It plays in 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, and it has rich complexity in the decision choices, uh, very intuitive rules, uh, excellently balanced variable powers. Uh, For me, this is a game that feels um, beautifully streamlined, and maximized uh, for play. It, it doesn't have any Chrome, it doesn't have anything extra detracting from it. Um, and it might be a little too focused for some people, uh, but uh, I like that. This is a 90-minute version of a worker placement game, which is much more rich than, for say, Bus. But I can't think of another worker placement game that plays this fast mm-hmm. and it's a fast 90 minutes we, we don't have player we don't have decision paralysis here um, that that um, I think a worker placement games they, they play in three hours they play a little less a little more uh, as a streamlined fast paced experience you can tell this has been play tested and and really really polished
0: it is elegant it's an elegant game it is more elegant than the original which listen when you're going from 2005 to 2020 i would hope that it would be more elegant but it, it it is definitely it definitely shows this is a game that the moment you start learning the rules to it you know you're in safe hands this is this is pros pros are doing their work here and you're along for the ride. This which, is
1: not the beta version.
0: No, by no means, by no means. Um, it is faster to learn and faster to play than the original by a solid margin. Uh, I believe that Kalis, the original, you would play in probably two and a half hours. This game you play in about one and a half hours. So you shaved about, yeah, yeah. about an hour off of the playtime, which is quite significant. That is a, that is a big and deal. Not
1: just the playtime itself, but the play is faster. The playtime hasn't been shaved because you're making half the decisions. The playtime has been shaved because you're making just as many decisions, but but at a rate that, that's much quicker.
0: Uh, no, I don't agree with that. I, I think that there are definitely more decisions that are happening in original Kalos than there are in this game. The game is truncated. This game has only nine rounds. Uh, a game of original Kalos is going to go on considerably longer than than, okay. than that. Okay. And, and I also think that... The de- decision is an interesting word you use because decisions does not equal turns, right? Decisions equals hard, turn, Hard turns, and, and, and like the choices. Original, the yes. amounts
1: of choices that you have, the branches of your Correct. decision tree, have been pruned. So I You're do, right yeah. about that.
0: So I do agree that 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 one of the reasons this game is shorter is there are fewer hard choices. But isn't that almost always the 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 toss-up, the decision-making uh, uh, process that you have to go through. I would say the this game is less fiddly by taking out the money, uh, by sure. taking out money for sure, but also by taking out the favor track. There was a favor scoring mechanism by taking out the different stages of building the castle, which were in the original. Um, they've they've stripped a bunch down and they've made some very strong choices to to make each part of the game as simple and as elegant as they could which is really cool and this game is more different game to game it's more variable the the player powers make the game play very differently from game to game the fact that the favors the three favors that are going to be out each game are going to give each game a very different complexity in a very different feel. And the fact that that first favor that goes out on that player board is a building that the game is kind of designed to have out in the village and now it's not out there in the village anymore, that can lead to some very significant different play. I think that's all a really,
1: really good thing. It's another push to get you to contribute to the castle, which works thematically. Potentially, yes. That there would be something that uh, you might want to get that, and the only way of getting it is from the king. Um, for me, I see the DNA of this game uh, in a lot of others. Um, I, I think Ted Joaquin, um has a lot of uh, these mechanisms of having buildings that where you place workers uh, and you get uh, uh, resources to contribute to the building of a central pyramid uh, in Tetehawken case. I think Great Western Trail has a lot of the DNA uh, of Kalus of in, in terms of you get to build buildings along a trail that other people can visit, uh, that actually only your workers can visit. Uh, a lot of the mechanisms in that were pioneered in Calus, uh were um, uh, developed very well in, in, in recent games. And I think that what the Kalis designers decided to do as a response is to say, okay, Teta does the levels uh, uh, of the pyramid, does the levels of the central building mm-hmm. much better than everybody else. Let's just get rid of that element and focus on the central game. Mm. Um, and, and to me, that's a very good way to go. Uh, Because if you're looking for a 90-minute game of this type, uh, I can't think of a better example. There you go. To play Teotihuacan, two and a half hours. To play Great Western Trail, that's three. Um, This is a solid, solid 90-minute euro that I I think is also a very good introduction for the medium-weight euro.
0: And it gives the Kalis feel. It does. It gives the Kalis feel. It's not Calus, but it feels like Kalis. And let's also say one last thing: it is far prettier. I mean, it, back in two thousand and five, Kalis was not an ugly game. It was a it was a good looking game. But you know, things have things have changed. And this this game is beautiful. It's a really well designed. Nice looking. It's nice a looking
1: pleasure game. to play. And it's not yeah. just beautiful. It's incredibly clear. Okay, uh, you can at a glance uh, see what the building is designed to do.
0: Do you have any cons? Do you have anything, any negatives that you want to share?
1: the The cons are if you're looking for a much more sprawling, complex experience, uh, you may think this is a little basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, there are ways to, there are reasons to prefer Te Tehuacan, there are reasons to prefer Great Western Trail, there are reasons to. Prefer Le Havre, uh, to mention off the top of my head three games that share a lot of the DNA with this one, uh, but if you're looking for a if you're looking for balance and speed, uh, and enjoyment, and ninety minutes of play, this can't be beat.
0: Well, let's talk about the weight. The Kalus thirteen oh three has a current weight on BGG of two point nine three. And uh, original Kalus original recipe is a weight of three point eight one, so almost a full point difference, which is quite significant. Which uh, for me comes down to a lot of a, a lot of my cons to the game are are about that. Are about how much have we sacrificed for what is definitely faster to learn to play, less fiddly, um, more variable.
1: I recognizably think... the same at a full point of difficulty less is a remarkable achievement. The question is, oh. really, for me, mm. is if you want to play the original Kalis, aren't you better off playing Ted T- Aren't you better off playing Great Western Trail?
0: I don't necessarily think so. I think Kalis still, still holds up very, very well. Uh, listen, here are the cons for me. In the original Kalis, turn order was a big deal, and there was a building in which you could sacrifice one of your people in order to change turn order, and that decision was meaty and was always meaningful. Um, And not only that, but this game has left-right binding now. Uh, Do you, left, right, binding means where you sit. That's right. That's right. Whoever the start player is, the person sitting to their left is in a great position because they get to go second for free and the person on their right gets to go fourth or fifth. This game plays five players. Left, right, binding becomes a much bigger deal when you play with five players. Um, That is a problem in this game. That is, that is a problem. It's not going to be a problem for everybody, but for people that are into Kalis and, and what it is especially since the workers are the currency of the game, there is there are strategies where you can play a low-worker game. There are strategies where you play a game in which you have your strategy is to get a ton of workers, and both of them can win the game. The problem is, is that if I am sitting to the right of a person playing a low-worker strategy, they are almost always going to be the first person to pass. I am almost always going to be the fifth player.
1: Unless and- you get a variable power uh, where you can place... One worker instead of two, and that will help you.
0: If that's even in the game,
1: it may not be. But it's, yeah, just, every uh, time I play, that it, it has.
0: Boom, been, boom, yes. But then once again, you're forced to grab that. And by the way, that's a, if, if somebody's playing a low worker strategy, you grab that. Somebody else's. Good chance they're going to steal that from you, and now all of a sudden you're spending and wasting actions, wasting favors in order to circumvent something that shouldn't be there. I think that there's a, a very simple variant to this game in which the order of the passing becomes the new turn turn order, sure. and then you don't have the left right binding issue. Um, this game, the there are nine rounds in this game. There are nine yes. rounds in this game. In the original Calus, it was one of the first games in which you could seriously affect how quick or how slow the game goes. When we think of Alexander Pfister with Great Western Trail and Maracaibo, his one of his main keys to his design was he was trying to make a game in which players could make decisions to change to change the tempo and sure, change the pace of the game. But
1: in this Calus, there is a fighting for... The length of a turn, not maybe how many turns we play, but you can choose to end your turn early and cost the extra player for every. uh But that's not different placement.
0: than that. But that, that isn't different than the original chaos. The original I agree, chaos has but both. it
1: retained. Sure, sure, but sure. but I don't think it's fair to say that this game has no way of affecting length.
0: I I don't really agree with that. I I think. There are, there are lots of games in which, you know, um, Gaia Projects, you know, all those sort of things, you can keep playing after other people have passed. That That's not really the same as a mechanism in which you can make the game last extra turns, whole turns. Okay. I think that's a, yes, I think that's sure. a, that's a, a significant difference there. Um, the castle used to be something where you were forced to go to the castle, and the castle was built in three parts. And when that part was about to be finished, we were going to do a castle scoring. And if you had the most pieces in the castle at that point, if you had done built the most of the castle at that point, you're going to get a benefit. You're going to get a favor or multiple favors. If you didn't put anything into the castle, you're getting penalized. This game doesn't have that anymore. And and that's a that's a missing element for for me
1: personally. Oh, I totally get it. And like there are many games that have taken that mechanism and exploited it, like TWOC for example, where, where you have to have contributions or, or else you lose points. Yep. Uh, uh, and for me, Kalis po- pioneered that mechanism, mm-hmm. but there are better versions of this mechanism elsewhere. Uh, Tom, oh. let me ask you, um, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always rather play a shorter, simpler game. Okay uh, but let me I'm, ask I'm not, you. not quite me, done yet though.
0: Oh, sure. So let me ahead. let me let me get to my last point which is this game is meaner than Kalis. This game is meaner than the original Kalis. The Provost is a very polarizing uh mechanism in in a game. It is one of the meanest take that mechanisms in a euro game it has been for decades and they kept that in and I love that William kept that in. I think that's fantastic. But in addition, he now has character cards that each person has, and they can be taken away from you. Yeah. So he is doubled down on the take that.
1: But remember, I table flipped in the original, Kalos. This is what I'm saying. So let me ask you this. Uh, Since we agree on on what the the game is, uh, when would you play the original, and when would you play the new version? I think that will give me a, a great uh, yeah, way of like thinking about sure. it.
0: Um, it it comes down to my calculus which is this which is would you rather play a medium weight game that takes 90 minutes or would you rather play a medium heavy game that takes two and a half hours so for one hour one extra hour i get a full point of complexity that's the question that's the question I love that this game exists. I think it's important that this game exists. This is a good game. I am in no way shape or form saying that this is a bad game. This is an excellent game. This belongs on a lot of people's shelves. It doesn't belong on everybody's shelf. It depends on what your tastes are. If you want a medi- if, if medium weight is your jam, get Kaless. It's going to be a very interesting play for you. My worry is Is that people that want a ninety-minute medium experience? This might have a little more take that than they're looking for. It might be it might be a little more painful and a little more punishing than a medium-weight euro gamer uh, wants to have. Sure, but much better. It fits. Sorry, just finish. It fits much better in the heavy, you know, nearly a 4.0 rating. With those with those games, you kind of expect a bloody nose occasionally.
1: But a counter argument is, okay, I'm going to get a bloody nose, but at least it'll be over in 90 minutes. As opposed to getting a bloody nose and having to breathe and wheeze <laughs> and, and, and blow blood bubbles through it for three hours. But it's, but it's a less mean game, and it's longer. For It's
0: a for, more mean for, game. For, the shorter one is oh, the more mean game.
1: Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> uh, Bus is an extremely mean game that plays in 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. For me, Meaner Games, uh, Estates, is an exceptionally mean game that plays in 45 minutes. The meaner for me uh, should be, is better at shorter lengths mm. uh, and the more relaxed should be at longer because I don't want to suffer this long.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I think, that's, I think that's about all we can say. Kalis is a great game. It really, really is. Kalis 1303 is also a great game. It, they're two different flavors, and it depends on your play style and, and the way you play these games. But if you like the original Kalis and wouldn't mind something that's a, a little bit shorter and a little bit less complex, highly check it out. It is a brilliant, brilliant design. That's about it. Dimitri, let's get right into our uh segment
1: but first a song philosophy
0: you know we're gonna you know we're gonna re- record <laughs> that i'm just gonna separate that i'm gonna record it and for every uh, for every segment we have for every player specific segment that's what we're gonna play from now on can't wait <laughs> jump into it dimitri bring us home what do we got
1: uh, uh, okay so uh there are a lot of people who play games because they like to solve puzzles Uh, but that's not the only reason we play games. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we just do crosswords um, and and stuff like that. Games are also entertainment. So this is not a discussion, not of mechanisms, but how games work as entertainment, uh, like movies or TV or circus.
0: We're going to have a discussion?
1: We're going to have a discussion. That's awesome. Uh, And when I sat down and thought about... uh, how have I changed as a gamer to appreciate these qualities? Mm-hmm. Uh, how have games changed in the fifteen years that I've been playing games at least once a week? Yeah, Mostly you've changed a you. lot. I've changed. You used a lot. to be a non-gamer. Yes, of course. Uh, so uh, there are four things that games really display that make them like movies, uh, and and the first of them is humor. That games have the capacity like movies, like television, like the circus, of making people laugh. I've laughed during games. Uh, I've seen other players laugh during games. And for me, the way the humor changed in the 15 years that I've been playing games is it's become more integrated and more interactive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tom, you helped me see the boss in Kanban as a very humorous figure. As this boss who throws their weight around and, and is imperious and is gonna bark at you and slam you,
0: I love role playing Kanban and just being so mad at the at the at the the lady who's coming and telling us that that we're we're not doing well enough. It's oh, wonderful,
1: yeah, and, and 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 I think that's something that Vital Lacerda planned for. Uh, it's a game that encourages you to see this essential integrated component. As a figure of fun, as a source of fun to relieve the tension. Uh, Ben Mandelker and and Jesse and I played London Underground. Mm -hmm. And then London Underground, you're building an entire network uh, of subways in London. Uh, I'm sorry, they're not called subways in London, I forget what they're called. (laughs)
0: The underground, the underground, yes uh, <laughs> or the tube,
1: and basically, the funny part of the game uh, is that you 're building this network really to help a single passenger mm-hmm. get to where they 're going, and there are figures uh, that that um, represent social archetypes like the pregnant woman uh, or, or or the or, or the capable uh, person mm-hmm. or the, or the older person or the businessman. Um, and you choose one of them, uh, and then Ben suggested, oh, let's think of her as Meghan Markle. And then as we played ga- the game for 90 minutes or two hours, uh, it was, Meghan Markle now has to go to Big Ben, and who's going to take <laughs> Meghan Markle to, to this station? That's fantastic. Uh, and again, it's an integrated way, and mm. then it's an interactive way to add humor in a a game and there are also metas like we call sheriff of nottingham two chickens uh and every time somebody bids bids two two chickens chickens, it brings a smile to our face before i feel that games made jokes Hmm. uh, or were satirical Uh, and as i have uh kind of forced myself upon reflection to appreciate the humor in games mm-hmm. because people were laughing around me and I might as well get in on the fun <laughs> and I might as well uh, lose whatever composure I have and and, and participate in the process. Um, it, the humor interweaves itself into the experience uh, rather than floating aside from it or, or on top of it.
0: I don't think that's true I mean I listen, I agree with everything that you said, except for the fact that you think there's been a change in turn and, and that humor has become more integrated. I actually think it may have become less integrated possibly okay. possibly. Uh, Kremlin game from the 1980s. Very the in-
1: funny, very funny art, very Hilarious funny concept.
0: game and built and, and it, is, it could not be more integrated. The entire game is about a humor experience.. It and what's k- so
1: funny about Kremlin rulers dying?
0: <laughs> well, each one of them is a caricature of a different aspect of a so, uh, Soviet totalitarian. Uh, they're wonderful. They're just wonderful. Uh, Junta, the the game is playing is role playing out a, a Banana Republic under another dictator, right? And it has so much fun that is built in. The the whole game is built around the fun of a play experience in which you have a corrupt dictator and you have to decide when you are getting enough, when enough crumbs are falling from his table into your particular pockets. And when you have to rise up and, uh, and form a revolution against him, um, bus, bus is quite an old game. A lot of Time humor travel, built, yes. built right in one of the, you know, there's only six things you can do in the game. And one of them is just, the head scratcher of all head scratchers, and Cosmic Encounter, right? Going way back, Cosmic Encounter. Half of the races in Cosmic Encounter are jokes. They're, they're built in as jokes. The sniveler as a race and their power. I is, love playing is hilarious. The so I think that not all, but some of the older games, there was a, there was more of a thread of the older games that were built with a strong sense of whimsy and humor woven into, like the concept of the game was something funny. And I don't think that that happens as much anymore. The Like Kanban has a funny element that's in the game, and I'm so happy that it's there. I think that uh, the examples that you had were great examples of how humor is integrated into some games nowadays, but I think the tradition used to be maybe that there was more. And I'm, But if... I think so. My addendum to what you said is: I think we lost that for a long time, and what you're noticing is that it's starting to come back, and I'm really happy about that.
1: I, I think I started playing games uh, in a dip, yeah. Of I humor, think that's true. where we were very serious and German and agricola and, and all that. We're we're farmers. We're we're plowing fields, and yeah, I I I can totally <laughs> see what you're saying. So. The second element that games uh, have that they share with movies and the circus mm-hmm. and TV is a tension. Uh, and, and for me, that is a very difficult element. I, I, I think you uh, enjoy tension in a game much more than I do. Uh, gotcha. But uh, yeah, it's. I, I think you have to have some tension in mm-hmm. games uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if there isn't what are you doing? You're, you're basically doing work, uh, or you yes. are solving a puzzle on your own. Uh, but I think in general, the trend is uh, less tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my example totally of, agree. Uh, and my example of that is going from Tolkien to Tetahuaken. Te mm-hmm. They're very similar games. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Soulkan, you have the grinding gears of time. Yep. Uh, and if you don't remove your worker from those gears at just the right moment, they can literally be squeezed out and you're not gonna get anything from it. Tetahuacan, it's a pleasant stroll around the mall. And if you if your worker stays in one of those buildings, that's fine because if other workers joins join them, you're gonna get more uh resources from that. Mm. Uh your you're building a pyramid. Um, you It just feels less punishing, less tense. You. You. I feel that in token it's very easy to spend a lot of effort for nothing, mm-hmm. and in teotihuacan all the effort that you expend will ultimately bring you something, bring you some resources, bring you some rewards. Maybe not the optimal resources. You you may not win the game, but you'll never have a turn where you. there's nothing yeah. you can do. Uh, actually, you may if you don't feed your workers or if you don't have enough uh, uh, maize or whatever. Um, but there's less of attention. And I feel that it's... Um, the tension has been lessened, except for Crystal Palace. Yes. Crystal Palace is a game that you reviewed, and I feel it's much more tense than, say, Coimbra, Mm -hmm. um, where Mm -hmm. you have worker placement, where in Coimbra you'll still get something, just not the optimal, maybe not what you wanted. Sure. Whereas in Crystal Palace you may get squeezed out entirely and, and get nothing for placement for placing a die that doesn't have the right value.
0: I would say barrage is still a very tense game as well. I think barrage doesn't, doesn't have that. I, I have a fraught relationship with what you're talking about. I totally agree with your observation. It's 100% uh, games have gotten less tense. Um, it, it there's there's a weird person that I I put into the category of blame for this, and it's Vital Lacerda. Um, strangely, uh, because Vital has these very complex, convoluted, tough to play games. But most actions you take give you a little reward. Most actions in his game, in his game systems give you a little something. You're constantly getting little mini rewards or little mini bonuses for doing things. And a lot of other designers do that too. I'm not blaming Vidal for this, but I'm saying that there is a definite trend in games now where actions always are giving you these mini rewards. And while I understand completely why you're doing that, at the same time, I feel like I am in Pavlov's laboratory and the bell is ringing. I feel (laughs) I feel like it is catering to me and programming me and I don't really want that like for me for my tastes I prefer age of steam where you know what you get for that action a swift punch in the nose you know brass Uh,
1: I've experienced that (laughs) punch in the nose many times
0: I think it's I think it's more I think it's more honest and (laughs) I I think that is but that's that's a personal preference a lot of people have a problem with that and who you know on a certain to a certain extent who wouldn't want to play a game where everything you do you just just get a little bonus for it's like it's like getting a little gold star and saying oh you did great skipper that was a great turn for you and I'm just like no but it really wasn't that great why are we why are we rewarding that um, my question for you, though, is: Has uh, your comparison between movies and books and games? Do you feel that movies and books have gotten less tense over time, or do you think this is a divergence from between the parallels of of games and uh, mass entertainment? I,
1: I think movies have definitely gotten less tense, and really? TV has gotten more tense. Uh, I, I I think Marvel movies are well paced and funny and colorful and really well made. I'm not worried about anybody dying because uh, they're going to come back. Uh, I'm not—they're cyclical, right? Uh, Everything is going to return. Sure. Uh, It's not like Star Wars where, yes, Obi-Wan comes back, but he comes back as a ghost. Yes. He's never a character. Sure, sure. Matters again. So sure. when he dies uh, in Star Wars, we'll never see him again. I I, I never have that loss. Ultimately, for me, tension mm-hmm. is, is connected to loss. I can, with all the reboots mm-hmm, in Marvel mm-hmm. and, and the constant return of all the characters. Remember in Batman, remember that Joker dies. Yes, that's the last time Joker dies. In 1989, in Batman, uh, the Jack Nicholson Joker died. Yes, um, and, and and now Joker can't die. Can't die. So so he's
0: he's as much of a franchise and as anybody. It,
1: and even if he does die, interesting. Even See, if he dies, to die somebody else will play him.
0: It's interesting. I, I think you're I think you're right that the. The franchisability of so much of movies has reduced tension to some degree, but I still think the net result is greater tension because pacing, energy, that has a tension effect in and of itself, and the pace has just gotten so much faster. I watched uh, The French Connection recently and I I almost can't get through it.
1: But it's a drama, It's, it's not a thriller, it's languorous. It's a drama.
0: James Bond. Looking, at, I can't watch a, a Roger Moore James Bond anymore. It takes forever. The uh, Spy Who Loved Me. I used to love this Spy Who Loved Me. Now I'm watching a fist fight between him and the the Arabic thugs in you know in Egypt in in the Giza scene, and I'm like, oh my god, this is taking forever. It's like, it's 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 been like forty seconds and he hasn't thrown a second punch. They're just they're just dancing with each other. I think I think they're it has changed. It has. It has changed. Born is the reason that that bond changed. Sure. But but the tension has been ramped up in a in a lot of movies in that way. I agree with what you're saying, but I think that there's, there's more to it. Let me Let, ask
1: you uh, one more question. Uh, do, do you feel that? your enjoyment of tension in games is related to your enjoying tension in movies? Do you feel it comes from the same place? That you like tense games and you like tense movies and you like tense books? I don't know
0: what I'm doing sometimes if a game lacks a certain amount of tension for me. It's like, why is this a game now? Like, am I striving for something? Shouldn't I be competing for something? Shouldn't I be trying to overcome obstacles and overcome difficulties. For me, that is a, a classic aspect of what a, what a game is. And, you know, I love Everdell. And Everdell isn't a particularly tense game, but it's surprisingly tense in some ways. It really is. And I think for me, the games that I enjoy the most are the games, you know, are, are kind of like a really great action movie where at the end of it, I realize, wow, I'm sweating a little bit. I didn't do anything that that character on screen did, but I'm sweating a little bit. It really, it put me through the ringer, and I come out with a feeling of catharsis. And I like that in a in a game. And for me to feel catharsis at the end of a game, win or lose, I can still feel catharsis at the end of a game, whether or, whether or not I won or lost. I feel catharsis the most and I feel that that feeling that I've been taken out of my life and I've been put into an experience and I've forgotten about everything except this experience for two or three hours, I feel that most in games that are most tense. So
1: there you go. Uh, you mentioned pacing. Sure. With regards to movies, pacing is my third element that games have and has changed. Sure. Uh, I, I, I think uh, when I started out, uh, you couldn't play a heavy Euro game in under three hours. Sure, And right now, you can very much in two. Uh, and my example of that is barrage. And and, and to me, there are certain specific decisions uh, that the designers of barrage made that made it possible. And, and, and the one that's the easiest to spotlight is how when your construction project, a dam, a conduit, uh, a turbine, goes online and starts producing the moment you start building it Mm -hmm. and while it may in that wheel um that wheel may take a couple of game turns to spin all the way around yeah uh not not waiting waiting you're not waiting for it and Mm -hmm. i think that's uh thematically it's a little wobbly but it's a very conscious decision uh to say that we can play a very tough euro Mm uh an unexpected euro a euro with rich decision spaces uh but we can pace it faster. I agree what what do that. you think about that?
0: No, I totally agree with that. I mean, it, the game we just reviewed is, timeless, a, is yes. an attempt to give a similar experience at a faster pace. Um, D Macher, the new version of Democher is an extreme example of that. We're talking about what was a pacing of a game in 1986 what is the pacing of a game in 2019? I think the new versus old version of Demacher is a perfect example that you are dead on right, that the, the pacing has picked up and picked up considerably, with some notable exceptions always, but, uh, but it really is trying to increase the tempo. I would also say that um, Rondel system games, which there, there are a lot more of those.
1: Like Teotihuacan, uh, uh, like Zolkin...
0: Well really I'm, I'm going more toward classic rondelle like uh, Matt Gertz' designs such as um, Imperial okay where you're just you can take the any of the next three actions for free or you can go farther for those. All of those are mini actions. They're really short, they're really quick and you move right on, which means that even in a five player game or a six player game, Imperial can play to six it's going to be two minutes maximum before your next turn because the turns are so fast and that creates a pacing all of its own, right? They're not big turns. They're small little turns and they come in rapid fire succession. I think that's, I think that's a really good development in game design over the last few years. I like that very much even if, even if I prefer original Kalis and possibly prefer original Democ- or to to the sequels. That doesn't mean that I don't see value in the trend.
1: Cool. And uh, the fourth thing that games share with movies and TV and books and circus is wisdom. Uh, And here I don't really mean the wisdom about the specific situation. Like Friedrich teaches you about... You, you, you know, the war that Friedrich fought. Sure. You, you know, or, or, or Kremlin teaches you about the Soviet system in the 1980s. But a general sense of learning about how the world works, mm-hmm. uh, uh, about maybe how people function, uh, about like general principles of economics. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. for me, uh, there's a Jessica Chastain, Oscar Isaacs movie that JC Chandon made called uh, A Most Violent Year, which is the best movie I've ever seen about what it's like to run a business. Ah. It comes on as uh, a movie about... Um, oh, that was the
0: mob movie, yes. Yeah, yes, but yes, it's yes. not... It, but it's not really.
1: It's not really. It's a movie about yes. uh, running a business. Uh, just like uh, uh, um, uh, March and Call by the same filmmaker is a great movie about finance. So Lacerda games mm-hmm. are always about economic principles. They're always ab- ab- about how competition affects uh, achievement. they their their actually contain information about on Mars, as Jennifer pointed out in the, in the last episode. Um, games like uh, High Frontier, mm-hmm. games like Pax Premier, mm-hmm. uh, they show general principles uh, of how um, like different historical situations may operate according to the same rules or similar rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Watergate... Okay, uh, which is a wonderful two-player game that plays in 30 minutes, which has interesting uh, mechanisms uh, for beating your opponent uh, and has a map and has territory control aspects to it and everything uh, unexpectedly. But also, if you want, you can read the cards and learn a ton about Watergate. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't get in the, into the way of play. Sure, It actually enhances it Uh, And the information you can read very quickly and gives you something to do while your uh, uh, opponent is thinking about their turn. Sure, sure. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think so too. I think that's true. I'm
0: not sure that it's that different than it was in the past. I mean, before the Eurogame revolution, before any of that happened, there were essentially three types of games. There were economic games, 18xx, um acquire games games of stock market games there were games like that there were war games tons and tons of war games existed back then and then there was other the category of other which were which is smaller Sorry. kind of a smaller well uh, there's the mass market i'm leaving that sure, out. sure sure um but i guess i guess my point would be that uh war games were very much steeped in uh, learning the minutiae of various things. Now, I I, I find military history to uh, perhaps be less revelatory of the human condition than other forms of history. It's very
1: specific. It I, is. I think military history is very specific to the period. Sure. And there are other types of focus that are more general. Yeah. Uh, again, I started playing games uh, at a time of Agricola. Agricola has nothing to teach you about running... <laughs> <laughs> a, a medieval farm agricola is a very really abstract game with a, a skin of, sure. of of of, of- Sheep uh, and carrots and vegetables and everything.
0: Look, let me answer that because you're slamming Agricola now, and I do not accept that. It is a well known fact that during the Middle Ages, uh, you had to get a license in order to have a baby, and if your neighbor has the license, you are not allowed to have that license. It was just a clear fact of the matter. Only one person is allowed to grow wheat on any given year. Uh, these were facts, all right. Oh, okay, Let's just
1: I, I need to brush up on my <laughs> on my medieval history. For for me personally, there have been huge improvements in games uh, in humor, in tension, in pacing, and in what I call wisdom. Um, in the last fifteen years, it's one of the reasons that I'm uh, continue to play in the hobby uh, mm-hmm. not as important for me as being with the people um, and I feel that I've changed I've started to enjoy the game process a little more by recognizing uh, not just the competitive puzzle making mm-hmm. uh qualities, but also these things that happen at the intersection of player and game happen above the board. There's uh, a lot
0: more in the gumbo than just that. Sure, yes. because
1: a, a game is a piece of cardboard, but a film is also just a piece of film until somebody's watching it, until somebody's playing it. And when you play a game, humor, tension, pacing, wisdom come into play in, in, in a rich way. Philosophical gamer,
0: you're the best. Thank you. That was fantastic. I thought that was a really, uh, I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation we just had. I loved cool. it. Cool. Uh, we are running low on time, but let's let's at least get one sommelier in, shall we?
1: Let's get two sommeliers. Let's see what we can do. In. Good. What? Where at like one fifty just got to
0: know <laughs> which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with Mama, madame abou. You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far with my fiftieth play of a A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right. We got uh, we, we have a pretty good bag of Game Sommelier questions. We're only going to get to a couple today, but let's get right into it. Miguel Dubois wrote us, Dear Board Game Sommelier, first of all, congratulations on the awesome podcast. Thank you so much. I've been looking for games for two separate gaming groups. One game group enjoys medium to heavy Euro games with player interaction, but not cutthroat interaction. And the other game group is looking to play games where... The design does not give a major competitive advantage to players who have played said game before, i.e. Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Um, Miguel from Australia, your first one is an easy one for us to answer. The second one is very, very hard. It is very hard to think of a game in which there is no, no or limited competitive advantage to people that have played the game before. But let's give it a shot. Group one. Group one is medium to heavy Euros with player interaction, but not cutthroat interaction. Um, Brass is the first thing that comes to mind. There is no take that in brass, but there is a lot of player interaction. Everything somebody does could potentially mess up the plans of another person, but it's not not directly at their expense in, in terms of the design. It is a great heavier game. Shogun or Wallenstein, either one, they're both the same game system, is a Euroized war game that has a good amount of player interaction, but isn't particularly cutthroat because at the end of the day, there's only so many chances to attack anybody. It's a a very tactical game. And the third thing I'm going to say is Nations, which is the lighter version of uh, Through the Ages. And is a a really good game in which there is a a lot of complex player interaction without people slamming into each other too hard as you're each trying to build the best civilization possible. Dimitri, what do you
1: think? Uh, I would recommend Modern Art which is an auction game where you can't really punish somebody. You can get a competitive advantage, a marginal advantage, by playing better than them, but you're not ever taking anything away from them. And and I would say, um, along the same theme, although it's a much more complex and and, and difficult game, Gallerist. Mm. In Gallerist, uh, again, you're trying to get a competitive advantage without punishing people. In fact, you can... Help each other by driving up the values of artists by trading um, in them together. Yeah, there's some um, clever
0: cooperative play in that game for sure. Yes, uh,
1: and, and not take back, not, uh, uh, not, not like I'm going to bloody your take nose. Take that, yeah. Take that. Yeah, yeah, take yeah. Uh, I do have uh, a recommendation for you for uh, a game that people can enjoy regardless of their experience, Wits and Wagers. Sure. I think uh, with some, and, and there's a game that Matt likes about American history that's kind of in the same area. Do you? Do you oh yeah, what it
0: it, is? it's um, America. It's like it's like America the board game or something. On yeah, something it, along it, it's, those it's lines. like
1: America F. Yeah, from from.
0: But it, <laughs> yeah. but that's exactly uh, the the same as I, I think it's 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 the same thing. It's a version. Yes, I
1: I, I think uh people like me uh enjoy games of uh, cultural knowledge and, and and scientific knowledge and historical knowledge mm-hmm. uh and that's a great level leveler wits and wagers has game systems in it um like valuing that mm-hmm. that some, some gamers uh will will prevail in over an inexperienced gamers but anyone who has a like a familiar experience familiarity and knowledge with culture and with history would inj- would not fall behind in games like that
0: agreed uh, i will say that that is more on the party game side of the thing and it seems like the question might be more toward is there or is there a euro that doesn't give a strong competitive advantage um which is much harder um i'm
1: gonna go with fresh fish yeah it's a great fresh
0: game. fish is a wonderful puzzle game and i know that game inside and out i played it more times than everybody else i never win ever ever win <laughs> not even close it is a it, it is a mind-bogglingly interesting uh a puzzle of a game wonderful to play and your first time out there are so many variables that you've got a good sh- you've got a good shot at doing well with that game
1: that's right there's a lot of interference from your fellow players though oh, or at least i feel that way i want well, that
0: gas station this, this player was this uh this this part of the request was not talking about uh, a player interaction so this okay is, this is okay just
1: just as long as we keep the requests <laughs> the separate, very separate, separate. <laughs> yes there's a wall of separation between the two requests
0: next up hey game brainers uh listen to the podcast love the podcast new listener actually i love the formats and i'm enthralled by the different points of view that each of you bring i'm working on a game design and wonder if you can suggest any games which i might compare contrast or learn from to my knowledge there isn't anything quite like what i'm doing but perhaps you know something i should look into this game is one versus many dudes on a map Imperfect information slash misinformation, and tactical movement, sneaking, or fighting. So it is one person who has a lot of pieces on the board, other players that have one piece each, and they're trying to figure out which of the many pieces on the board are the, the bat, actual
1: the, yes. people who can hurt you yes 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 so and it's, this, it's, this so is from like david. a Potemkin village uh, uh yeah. of, of military games where you don't know where the tanks are just you know cardboard outlines yes. and which tanks are real
0: uh this is from david r lion architect hey david thank you for your request do you have any thoughts on this one
1: I am going to defer to you on this one because I think you love um uh asymmetrical games I do. Uh, and, and I think you have a lot of ideas here.
0: I do. I do. I I got a lot of a lot of ga- I have a list of games none of which are exactly like your game which is wonderful.
1: Which is great. It, it, it to me it sounds like a very interesting idea for a game.
0: I totally agree. Um, I will say that Cryptid is something that you should look at. Cryptid is a deduction game in which there are all kinds of pieces out on the board and everybody has a little bit of information about those pieces. And we're trying to find where the one space on the board is that this uh, cryptozoological wonder is located. Uh, It's a very interesting deduction game. And when you have people that are trying to figure out which pieces are legitimate, and which ones are decoys. That game might give you a little bit of information. At least it'll show you something interesting. The one versus many, Friedrich. Friedrich is one player playing Friedrich the Great of Prussia, and all the other three players in the game are playing at them and against them. They're going for their own individual victory, but they're playing against that person. It is a classic. And And
1: there are cards there. Right, that uh, keep secret the information of how powerful your units are, or my.
0: Yes, uh, sort of. Yes, it's it's you ha- have a deck of cards, and you and the cards tell you essentially what territories you are best at fighting in, and so on and, and so forth. And that's
1: a little bit, not all the way towards uh, what our architect is trying to accomplish, but it's sure. kind of very in much that so. Space. Very much so.
0: Uh, there was a game called Clans. It's an older game. It may, may not be the easiest to find, but there were a lot of copies that were made of it. Clans is interesting because in Clans... C C Yes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lighthearted game about the Ku Klux Klan, and, you know, it's, it's rich and valuable history. No, Clans is a game in which there are all these pieces on the board of different colors, and at the beginning of the game, you have a secret card that tells you which is your color. Nobody at the beginning of the game knows anything but what their color is, and they don't know who represents what other color. Now, in practice, over the course of the game, sometimes it becomes fairly evident which color you are, but the process of figuring out which color you are. In other words, when I take my action, am I just doing things for the benefit of white? People are going to think I'm white. Maybe I do that early on to throw some people off. Right. Or maybe I continually do things that appear to be helping three different colors, but in reality are helping only my color the most. Uh, It's an interesting mechanic. Might be something worth checking out. Uh, Two more. Mr. Jack. Mr. Jack is a deduction game. It is one player versus one player, but there are eight characters on the board. One of them is Jack the Ripper. And only Jack the Ripper knows which of those eight they are. The other person, the detective, is attempting to sort out the good from the bad and try to figure out which of these eight characters might be. And each turn you're going to have an opportunity to rule out certain suspects depending on whether or not they are in the light or in the darkness. There are these little gas lamps all over the map. Uh, Very interesting game. And last but not least... um, when you have a dudes-on-a-map game in which there it is secret as to which are valuable and which are not, I always go to war games that are block games. Block war games are games in which you have units on the board represented by blocks, but the blocks face you. So the person on the other side cannot tell whether or not the unit they're facing is a majorly beefed-up armor unit or a, you know cavalry or a uh, infantry reserve unit mm-hmm. that basically has almost no power at all. Uh, a large part of the tactics of that game is getting through the fog of war of trying to figure out where a person has seeming strength which is a lot of blocks and actual strength which is the strongest units uh, The best game for you for that is a game called Sekigahara uh, which is about a the Japanese conflicts uh, of a you know of the Shogun era. And is phenomenal for that. You really should check it out. Listen, I hope these are helpful to you. Uh, It's a wide variety. It's a credit to your design goals and the type of game that you are designing that I described games ranging from war games to abstract strategy games to deduction games. I mean, it's pretty much spanning the globe. Uh, I think
1: none of which actually has your exact mechanism. And, and and again, com- kudos for discovering it and, exactly. and, and exploring it.
0: Good luck. We hope to see your game at our table soon. Dimitri, thank you so much. You are the philosophical gamer, it is without a doubt. And it is always a pleasure to have
1: you. Uh, always a pleasure to do this with you, Mr. Baritone. <laughs>
0: Uh, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.c forward slash GameBrainPod, a Facebook group, a Discord channel. You've been listening to GameBrain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore
1: pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends. Or, or make some friends with games. Yeah.